When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here we go. Jackson over the middle, caught by Hollywood Brown. See you later. Hollywood to the house. Jackson, the spin and toss. Ingram makes a man miss. Diving. Touchdown. Russell Wilson's first pass to Metcalf. And Metcalf had it, lost it, and is picked up by the Ravens. And running in is Marlon Humphrey for the touchdown. There's a second down and three. Jackson takes it himself. Look at him turn back and forth. Oh! He broke his ankles. Now he's got an entourage. And he's got a touchdown. He is Houdini. What a play. 47 yard. Touchdown run by the magical quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Raven. This is your host, Antonio Barbera, trying to remain upbeat, trying to power through what is going to be a less than entertaining episode after the Ravens fall in uh, thunderstormy New England. 23-17 23-17 to 17 to the Patriots, joined by my co-hosts. Let's start first, Tim Horsey. Tim, you know, I, I feel like maybe, I can't remember exactly how many episodes we've done, but I think almost every episode I've said, Tim, Jace, how's it going? I'm not doing that, so I'm just going to say, Tim, w- good to have you on the show. <laughs> Hi. Hello. Hello, sir. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, um... I don't know. First of all, I'll start off on a positive note. Whatever your definition of entertaining is, this might be entertaining. If you like three men just screaming into microphones over the frustration over a football team team who failed to show up again, then you might find this entertaining. Uh, but if not, then yeah, this might be you know it might be a little bit of a tough listen for the next hour or so. Tim with the perfect Freudian slip there of football tomb, not football team, but football tomb. Jace on the West Coast. Jace, hello. <laughs> hey there, Antonio. Uh, that was annoying. Uh, <laughs> I think that is uh, easily the most annoying Ravens game I think we've seen in quite a while. Um, I'm frustrated by it. <laughs> and I there's no shortage of things uh, I think we can dig in on. Um, so we've said many times... Uh, 
a lot more so than 2019. Obviously, the uh, 2020 edition of Pod Like a Raven has become seemingly a weekly therapy session for us to air our grievances about this team. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of them. <laughs> so I'm ready to get into it. I'll start with, normally on the show, we either do, you know, let's talk about the first half or the second half, or let's talk about the offense and the defense. It really, this cannot be done uh, with this past game from Sunday night. This is just a dive into things that annoyed us or things that need to be fixed or yet more players who have gone on IR. But the one thing I will say to start is the from the Patriots' perspective, and, and Chris Collinsworth said this at a certain point in the game, and I, I think he was really right with this observation, that the Patriots basically simplified their offense after going through games with interceptions, fumbles, mistakes, where they, they lost a few games in a row. They basically simplified their offense down to the first two pages of the playbook to avoid penalties, avoid mistakes, and try to stay in games, which is basically exactly what they did against the Bills. And they still lost with the one mistake that they then made with Newton fumbling. It is very, very frustrating to look back at this game with the Patriots having done that very clearly, run it on first down, run it on second down, maybe run it again, or throw a three-yard slant or do some sort of illegal-slash-legal pick play to get a first down conversion. And I'm going to start with that, and I'll I'll have you guys, you know, discuss what you agree or disagree with with this point, but last week I said Edelman was going to have at least one to two passes and then forgot that he was hurt and wasn't going to be playing in that game. But that didn't stop the Patriots from throwing a a touchdown pass with a wide receiver. It was just somebody else. So if I knew that was coming, the Ravens should have known it was coming and been slightly prepared for it. And there's some other things there that just seemed so obvious with this vanilla simplified offense that the Patriots ran that was still effective for them scoring over 20 points. So I start with that, guys. How frustrated are we? How annoyed are we? Am I am I making this too simple of a case that if I see something, the Ravens should should have been more prepared for it? Is it not that easy? You know, that simple. But what were your thoughts, at least on that side, uh, that side of things? I mean, you're right. And to bring up the the trick plays and stuff, and you know, we talk about the quarterback or the the wide receiver pass that ends up being a touchdown, the Edelman thing. Sure, we should have known about all that stuff, and I completely agree with you. The more frustrating part for me is that all of that is able to happen because the New England Patriots completely dominated the Baltimore Ravens' run defense, ran it down their throat over and over and over again. When they needed to pass the ball, let's just do a little screen that apparently we're just not prepared for to gain those four and a half yards on third and four. But we have third and four, we have third and three, we have third and two because we have second and five because on first down we're getting five yards per rush. Cam Newton started the game bowling over Patrick Queen, and we should have known from that point on this is going to be a problem. I mean, Newton only threw it 17 times total. The Patriots ran 39 times for 173 yards rushing. That's 4.4 yards per carry on this defense uh, obviously, Brandon Williams and Alcalaeus Campbell was not didn't even play, and we saw that. But even so, man, you cannot get dominated up front like that and expect to win the game. Uh, th- this is why 
early in this game, I I was if you know all three of us on a personal level, you know that to Jace and I are definitely more of the pessimistic ones and Jace is known to call games early. First quarter, the joke is first quarter the other team scores a touchdown, Jace is out. That was me this game. I hand up and I thought they were done at halftime because of the way they were just being completely dominated in that facet because I've watched a team for the last year and a half when they're very, very good at running the football down the other team's throat. That game is over, and that's the Baltimore Ravens, and it, they got a taste of their own medicine on Sunday night, and it was it was embarrassing, and it was embarrassing to watch. I, I think I fall on the side Tim does in this regard, too. Uh I think, you know, we look at why the Patriots are successful over the last 20 years, and obviously this season hasn't been going great for them, but, you know, now they're 4-5 and five and hanging around at least. Um, but the, they just, they do what they need to do to win the game, right? And um, in this game, it was the Ravens cannot stop the run. <laughs> um, and it was obviously magnified. Brandon Williams goes out on the second uh, defensive series, and that became a big problem with Clay's Campbell already out. Tim mentioned Patrick Queen. I like the guy. I wish he was a bigger man. Um, that was exposed a little bit on uh, Sunday night. Um, but I think it's a, a, just a credit to the Patriots. They see what's working. They know they're not, they're not a very talented team. That receiving core, especially with Julian Edelman out, is not great by any stretch but they have a very good interior of their offensive line um and you know they are were able to run the ball and so they just kept doing it and doing it and doing it and the ravens gave them no reason not to um and so i think yeah it i think it it seems too simplistic but i really do think in many ways this game came down to just they couldn't stop the run and that just you know it shortened the game uh it let the Patriots take control of the game. We saw the Ravens, you know, fall behind by 10 points and then not overcome it once again. I don't, that's obviously a storyline now going forward with this team until it, uh, a comeback happens, I guess. But yeah, I think um, I'm very frustrated, as you said. The Jacoby Myers touchdown pass, like we we all knew that was coming, and the Patriot or, and the Ravens knew it was coming. Like Patrick Queen played it, and then like for whatever reason, kind of like hesitated when <laughs> Myers had the ball and let Burkhead, who's not that fast, run like right by him, uh, and it got just enough separation, and that was that. And uh, that you know that puts them, I believe that put them up ten at the time. Uh, that uh, touchdown. Um, or, or no, it only put them up three, I believe. Um, but yeah, it, it was just very frustrating. A very frustrating uh, series of events. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if I have anything more to add. I feel like I'm rambling. But it just, when you can't stop the run, it's just going to be a long day. And we'll get into it because I have concerns about that going forward. Yeah, the Patrick Queen stuff is frustrating because he got exposed in this game, in the run game, which is, you know, we that was going to be a problem when he was coming into the NFL because he's undersized. Then he also got exposed in the passing game, which was not supposed to happen because he should have the speed and versatility to fo- follow a Rex Burkhead downfield, so that was frustrating. His tackling, he seems like he often catches himself tackling too high, and he's too small of a guy to be doing that. Like, he's that's where he's going to get exposed when he tries to 
tackle these big running backs at the shoulders instead of the hips and thigh. We need like Ray Lewis to come in and do just like the motivational, here's how you tackle when you're an undersized linebacker kind of thing to go talk to him. But the other issue that we've brought up already, the Brandon Williams injury, it was it's it's back to back weeks now where that injury has not only like obviously it's a problem to not have the player. But it's happened twice where we expected that player to be in the game, and then on the first series they were removed. You would almost rather have that player get hurt in practice, so that going into the game you're able to prepare, you're able to scheme a little differently. And that's back-to-back weeks where the guy who you were going to sort of depend on at that in that area, one series in, you now are scrambling to to try to figure something out. And the Patriots will expose you when they f- figure something out. They've done it for 20 years, and they did it again. Oh, defensively. The the third and ones, the fourth and ones are frustrating. It's a Cam Newton sneak. Maybe have your defensive line stack a little tighter in the line. So many things like that that were just so frustrating. And then it seemed way too late to me when Wink Martindale finally started to... I mean, I, I'm calling it run blitzing. I, I'm, I realize that's a little simplistic, but it took until like midway through the third quarter to bring bodies to force the Patriots to throw, basically. And that's that started to work. The Patriots were starting to get stuffed. They were losing yardage. This was when the Ravens were scrambling to try to get the ball back as quickly as possible. Why not try that earlier in the game? It's, it's just so many things are frustrating. I'll, I'll turn it back to you guys if you have other things on the defense before we start turning to, uh, to some other mistakes and, and things that happen in this game. Well, the lack of adjustments on both sides of the football is, is frankly inexcusable. Um, and just to keep it defense here, I completely agree with you. Why, for a defense that is far and away the most aggressive defense in the NFL when it comes to blitzing and stuff like that, uh, why they didn't do that earlier, um, especially when you're down two defensive linemen, two key defensive linemen. By the way, this shows you how important Brandon Williams is. He is a guy, as someone who loves watching offense and defensive line, somebody who focuses on that for most of the plays, Matabuke, Broderick Washington, even Derek Wolf, who has been good this year, were getting blown off the line of scrimmage. And it's concerning. And Jelly Ellis is just, he's, he's not good enough. He's, he's the Terrell Bonds of the defensive line for them. It's just, oh. it's just what it is. Sorry. But the problem here is Brandon Williams has... After this season, he has one more year left on his deal, and that is when he'll be 32. Calais Campbell is 34. So great, you're missing both of these guys. They're going to be missing these guys very, very soon. Like They're, they're not re-signing Brandon Williams as a 32-year-old nose guard. That's not going to happen. And Campbell's only got a few more years left in the tank. Like I'm concerned about Matabuke and Washington. I know they're two rookies. But these are guys who they drafted Matabuke especially high. Uh, you know, I think it was a third-round pick, I believe, was Matabuke. A guy that they believed and something that we heard about, the, the opponent we're going to talk about at the end of this podcast, uh, the Tennessee Titans who we face next weekend, they're the reason that the Ravens beefed up on this defensive line, and it wasn't just your starters. It was your rotation guys. It was your depth, and that depth got exposed. That depth isn't good enough. It, Jace pointed out that the Patriots do have a very good offensive line. They have some some studs in there. The the rookie they drafted is like the highest graded rookie according to PFF for for linemen this season. And apologies, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but they have some real pieces there. But with all that being said, you can't be exposed like that. I I get it. 
injuries. We'll talk about Nick Boyle as well, which is going to be a massive blow for the offense. Um, but I, I don't want to hear the whole, oh, well, this team's just really injured. What are you going to do? You're supposed to step up in that role. And even if it's not as good as Brandon Williams, who's a stud, even if it's not as good as Calais Campbell, you know, who is, a, is I believe, a former All-Pro, obviously multiple-time Pro Bowler uh, during his career, it can't be that bad. And it was despicably high school-level bad against the Patriots. And again, as, as we've just been mentioning over and over again, you run the ball 4.4 yards a clip and you run it 39 times, you're going to win the football game. And you don't turn it over, you're going to win the football game. Let's turn offensively, Jace. Uh, oh, boy. I'm going to say one thing, and I'm going to try to keep my tone, uh, let's call it podcast appropriate, radio appropriate. If you have a center on offense who f- physically cannot have a clean snap three plays in a row, I don't know what you're what you're doing on the field offensively. The, the, Matt Skura, we love him. He's done well. He has this mystery cut on his finger that nobody really knows where it came from or why it hadn't healed in a week. The ball is wet. He has three official, uh, as an uh, official stat, three fumbles in this game, three, at least three or four other snaps that really should have been fumbled, but Jackson was just alert and athletic enough to reach and stab you know, the ball before it goes behind him. In any game, if your center can't snap the ball, you're going to struggle, on an offense that is predicated on on movement, on timing, on Jackson having to read defensive players immediately, and instead he's having to look down at the ball every other snap, or expect to have to look down at every other snap, we you can't play. I mean, you you can't do anything. So I'm I'm a little confused as to why there wasn't some sort of move made in that game, just an emergency move to try to use somebody else who could snap the ball cleanly. I'm going to turn to you with that, Jays. Go wherever you feel offensively, but, I mean, a football team that can't snap the ball, I don't know how you're going to score or move the ball. Yeah, the Ravens' offensive line, obviously, is already kind of in shambles. Uh, you know, Ronnie Stanley's out for the year. Tyree Phillips has been out. Uh, and then, yeah, in the last two weeks, we've developed the thing where the center can't snap the ball, which is probably, I think, you know, the biggest issue of all. <laughs> because um, uh, it all starts it all starts with him right he has the ball he's the only one who can touch it on the offensive line from the line of scrimmage so um and in this game his bad snaps were just especially crippling like he had some bad ones against the colts but it ended up not mattering too much but this one it just seemed to come in the worst case scenarios obviously um on the fourth and one wildcat snap uh wildcat snap to Mark Ingram, which we can talk about that because I want to <laughs> have some Greg Roman questions as well. I want to bring up here momentarily, uh, but then also just say, go ahead, Jace, go ahead, bring it up now. You know, go okay. Ahead. So on that play specifically, try it out because it, this does tie into the offensive line too, um, in a way. So you have a center who is just air mailing snaps. Uh, so, you know, we talk about not making adjustments, Lamar Jackson can go under center, I guess. You know, like, if your center can't exchange a shotgun so, snap. Chase, I just, I just want to cut in real quick. I want to cut in real quick because I'm going to throw – it's a question I want to throw right to you. Because I had a friend ask me this uh, the day after the game as we record this. And I didn't really have a great answer for him. Why didn't they just go under center? I, Lamar's played under center. So, yep, like I in, know they love running the pistol. They love running gun. 
why didn't they just run single back, I-form, stuff like that, where he's under Sakura, where he has a very defined target to snap the ball into? It's a great question. I mean... You know, I think the obviously the Patriots did not have this problem yesterday, and so that's what the one thing you everyone cites the weather, and you're like, yeah, the weather was bad, but also like <laughs> Cam didn't put one on the ground. David Andrews, the Patriot center, did not put one on the ground, uh, or or really, I didn't notice really any wild snaps from David Andrews. So. I don't know why they didn't make any change. Let's, like you said, Lamar's played under center. He played under Bobby Petrino in college. He was all, he was like almost exclusively running like pro stuff under center in college. So he, he knows how to play under center. I, I, I was very frustrated by that. Um, I felt as it pertains to the Wildcat call in particular, I felt that was a moment of Greg Roman panicking, which I think we've seen in the past a little bit. You know, I'm all for going for it in that scenario because you're, you're down, you know, you go down 13-10 into the half. Uh, Lamar throws a pick. Not a great pick, obviously. Um, but they're still only down 13-10. But then immediately watch the defense get carved up once again on the ground, uh, on the Patriots' first drive out of the half. And so then they go for it, they're down 10, and they go for it. But then just that play call, I don't know. I I want the ball in Lamar Jackson's hands on fourth down. I know that exact play worked for a touchdown against the Houston Texans, but it turns out that team's just absolutely garbage. So I don't know how much stock you should put in a successful play against a horrible team. So I was frustrated with Greg Roman on that call, and just the not adjusting, just to wrap it up in a bow, yeah. I know it's hard to make in-game adjustments. They actually did bench DJ Fluker, so Patrick McCarry, who you would think would be their backup center, was actually playing right tackle uh, for the end of this game. Um, but, so, I don't know what you do. I guess, like you said, Bozeman played some center in college. Uh, they have an undrafted center on the roster, I don't know if you make that change in-game when you're only down six, but it's definitely something I think they need to look at going forward because this can't, this is two weeks in a row now, and, you know, this offensive line has enough problems as it is. We can't, and offense has enough problems as it is, and especially now with the loss of Nick Boyle, like, we're going to be facing even more adversity as it pertains especially to the run game for the Ravens, and, you know, he's been good pass catcher this year too. Um so they need to figure it out. You know, I think if he has like one bad snap on Sunday against the Titans, I think you have to bench him uh, or at least move him to guard and have Makari, someone else take over under center. Well, that's, that's my thing. Obviously the offensive line has been decimated and look, we're talking about the same couple things. We're talking about the run defense, not being good enough and the offensive line, not being good enough. This game is won and lost up front. It sounds stupid. It sounds cliche. It's it's a cliche for a reason. You win the game up front with your offensive and defensive linemen, and neither of them were good enough on Sunday night. Um, With with Sakura, first of all, I just want to address this. It it sounds very simple, but some fans are idiots, so I just feel like we need to address it anyway. Stop attacking the man's personal life and his family. Matt Sakura had to come out, put a message on Twitter today, if you haven't seen this, or excuse me, on Monday, and basically said, 
I apologize for my performance uh, on Sunday night, yada, yada, yada. It's on me. I'll improve everything you expect. But then he says, but some of the attacks on my family and my personal life are out of line. And for that, just shut up. Like, it's the reason some people just shouldn't have Twitter accounts, in my personal opinion, because they're, they're frankly idiots who just want to attack people all day. That being said, if it's that bad and it's not just a weather thing, because like you said, Jace, the other team is fine. You have two other guys on that offensive line who also play center. Pat McCarry played center a lot of last year. Bradley Bozeman, like you said, played some center in college. Move one of those guys over. Just do it. I know they're a little bit of different assignments, but like when it's that bad, you have to make an adjustment. That brings me to Greg Roman. Guys, remember the Colin Kaepernick offense with the Niners? Remember how awesome that was? You remember it was it was a revelation, and then all of a sudden, obviously there's uh, there's other factors with Kaepernick, but the, the from the Greg Roman part part of this, the offense completely fizzled out, and a lot of that blame unjustly I think probably went against Colin Kaepernick. Are we worry? Is it time to worry about Greg Roman? Because this offense was otherworldly last year, and it caught everybody by surprise. But we said at the start of the season. They can't just do the same thing over and over again because people are going to find some stuff out. And frankly, again, offensive line not as good with, with Yonder retiring and then obviously can't predict the Stanley injury. And uh, Antonio, I throw it to you because Jason and I have been ranting. Is it time to worry about Greg Roman? And, like, you know, Harbaugh's not going to make a Cam Cameron-like change in the middle of the season. I'm not saying any of that. But, like, what do we need to see from him that we're <sighs> confident in him going into next year? I think this is tough. I think I listen. I would love, I would love to say he's got to go. There's got to be somebody who can sort of build on this and improve. There's like the old adage that if you're standing still, you're moving backward, right? Because everybody else is going to adjust and improve. And if you try to run, run it back, the same old thing. Then the defenses are going to catch up. Um, the the combination of that plus losing talent at positions of absolute need for this kind of offense, which we've said it a bunch of times, losing Yonda, losing Ronnie Stanley. We used tight ends a lot last year, and we will we can turn this into the you know part of the Boyle discussion. We traded away a number one draft pick who was pretty good. I, you know, he wasn't our best tight end, but he did a lot of things well we traded him away because we were comfortable going with only two tight ends, even though we used three tight ends a lot at the same time on the field in that old offense. We settled with two tight ends, and now one of them is out, and now we're down to one tight end. I don't know who of those practice squad guys they're going to add. They've, they've had a bunch of tryouts and, and this, that, and the other. But the other part of that is that the adjustments that the Ravens wanted to make while keeping the offense the same, while running it back with personnel... And this is this can't I don't think can be Roman's fault is they wanted Lamar Jackson to make strides with how he developed as a passer. And if they were able to do that, then they could lean off of, you know, having to run the ball 40, 45 times a game and they would have this other threat of the passing game that was going to take away from needing to rely on the run game and the fear of the run this you know offense getting solved to a certain degree i don't think he's made those strides yet and i don't think he's made big enough strides to where they cannot rely 
on the running game to succeed, and because of that, they've never really done everything well at once, and that's why they're scoring fewer points. They used, you know, 40 points a game was like a bet last season, and that's not happening. That wasn't happening even in, in some of their wins, so... It's a lot of things happening at once, and that's why I, I you know, I, I, I can't just say Roman has to go, but I would like him to, you know, you would like to see some, that's his, that's his role, right? He is the offensive coordinator. He's supposed to figure this stuff out. He's supposed to see that with not as strong of an offensive line, he has to adjust, or as if Lamar hasn't taken as many strides as we would have hoped in the passing game, that you make some adjustments based on that, and I, things are getting worse as opposed to better as the season goes along. I think that's for me. It's definitely, I think his kind of, I still think he is a good offensive coordinator, but he he does. I think because they're not, you know, as you mentioned, scoring 40 points a game and scoring on every drive, you know, you notice when the adjustments aren't being made, I think a little more this season, uh, because every game has been a lot more of a struggle and just, but like, I think there's still enough moment. Like, they're, they're two scoring drives. They score on two straight drives uh, across the first and second quarter. They looked really good on those two drives. And now you would have liked for their second one, uh, you know, to end in a touchdown. Uh, but they go up 10-3. But it, it's from there. They have that one scoring drive where Lamar made a really nice throw. But it all kind of just it stalls out. And a lot of that, you know, in the second half, they were undone by some just horribly timed snaps, you know, one set up a, a giant, like, second and 26 or <laughs> whatever when they're down six points in the fourth. But they had basically the entire fourth quarter to try to tie or even take the win this game in regulation. They're down six points. And just, like, nothing happened. And it's because of these issues we've said, like, the offensive line. But... To defend Greg Roman a little bit, I yeah, like I don't know what he is supposed to do to some level with the offensive line because I think the talent just isn't there. And receiver-wise, I know one of our co-hosts wanted to get into this, and I kind of did too. There is not the production there that needs to be there, especially from one Hollywood Brown, I'll say. Uh, you know, Lamar's... The interception, I think, before the half was bad. He never should have thrown that ball. But, I mean, you know, at the same time, you're the the first-round pick wide receiver. You want, or even someone interpret, demand the ball. And then you can't beat J.C. Jackson, who's, like, good. He's a good player. But, you know, he went to Maryland. We watched him play. He was there, I think, when we were there. How good can he be? He went to Maryland, you know. Uh... He was undrafted. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Not to disrespect J.C. Jackson here, but I just... Jace can speak to that especially well because Tim and I know for a fact that Jace stayed through to the end of many Maryland football games that yeah. were absolute blowouts, yeah. not in the Terps' favor, and he would stay, and it was admirable, so he has all the mental tape on Jackson. I was going to say, I have no tape on Jackson because I was at Looney's before the game even started, so, you know, there was, I, I don't even, I didn't even know he went to Maryland, to be completely honest, um, but the Hollywood thing, let's bring this up, because there's been, we've talked about this. You know, the, the the joke, or maybe it's not a joke, I don't know, I can't see his closet, Antonio buying the jersey, the 15 on the back with Hollywood instead of Brown. Then he does the whole, you know, I, you got to get your soldiers the ball. Well, I would love to get my soldier who gets separation the ball, but apparently Hollywood Brown doesn't do that. 
And then it's it's almost like Lamar's forcing balls to him. We saw it on that first drive, that ball where where you, I believe it was uh, Jackson or it might have been McCourty on the coverage, where it's a it's a go route for Hollywood Brown who runs a four three forty, and McCourty's with him the whole way because he can't get away from him. For me, and I'll because I threw out the question first, so I'll give my opinion and let you guys respond, and we will talk about the NFL in general later. But watching DeAndre Hopkins. And then remembering that report that DaCosta made the call and the Texans didn't want to budge on giving him to an AFC opponent, which based on what they gave up for him or what they got for him, excuse me, I think you could have nudged them a little harder if you really wanted to. I am livid that they don't have that number one guy in the building because Hollywood Brown is not a number one receiver. He never will be a number one receiver. He is a nice for me and Maybe I'm making the judgment too early. You can call this emotional backlash. You can call me still call it me still being pissed off from Sunday night. That's fine. I'm willing to hear the argument. For me, I think Hollywood is a good number two. He's a good compliment piece, and they still don't have that that one guy, that guy that they need in that passing game if they really want to take that to the next level. Yeah, Tim. I mean, I, yeah, I, I there are so many words I want to say to not being able to trade for DeAndre Hopkins and what the the feeling of having him on this offense. But as for Hollywood, oh boy. Um, He is a undersized, speedy receiver who in theory has uh, very solid hands. If he cannot get separation, Tim, you use the perfect word for him. What is he going to do, right? He's not... even corners, like he's undersized to a corner, much less any other safety or whatever, any other position on the field. He had the whole point of getting him is to burn past guys, and the rookie year was sort of excused because of the foot injury. Um, he visibly did not have the speed that he had even in college. That supposedly is dealt with. He, the speed is supposed to be there. The weight is on. The muscle is there. All night. He was completely blanketed on every ball that was thrown to him. I mean, they had him run a, um, uh, I may not remember the exact terminology of the route, but like the, the up and, the, like under and up move, basically, where it looks like you're running an out route, wait for the corner to bite, and then fly. And the corner bit, and he still didn't really get by him. <laughs> he was still able to match him stride for stride. So you do the slow, like, guide him to the sideline kind of thing, so... I just don't know who he's going to be, how he's going to really, really be successful based on the type of player he is and the skill set he has because we don't have the quarterback that sort of fits it in super, super tight windows with a cannon even if he, the, the defender's all over his back. So it's frustrating. I Maybe they're just playing him to run, you know, go routes. They're just playing him to try to... They're ex- expecting that the only thing he can really do is, is try to blow by defender so it's it's frustrating to watch two catches last night for 14 yards six targets not open on most of the other targets so I you know I I don't want to I like him I want him to succeed I want the Ravens to have drafted a good wide receiver but it's just not a really good match a lot of factors that really are not working for him right now yeah and and last night in uh Sunday night's game I did not well, you know, Lamar Jackson was far from perfect, but to me, he was like the least of the Ravens' worries, I feel like, in this game. You know, he only had 10 incompletions. The interception was bad. You would like to think 
Tucker probably nails a field goal. They were roughly, a, I think, a 55-yard field goal when he threw that pick. So that's one. We've seen Justin Tucker make 55-yard field goals before. So it would have been nice to be tied. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it as it pertains to Hollywood, the last, like, few weeks I've felt a lot, like, I had this thought yesterday, and I almost tweeted it and then was like, I can't tweet this. This is so sad. But I, I, I was like, they should throw at Willie Sneed more because Willie Sneed, every time he catches the ball, they seem to get like 15 or 20 yards. And uh, I don't know. That's just not where I want to be. I want Hollywood to be that guy where, you know, I feel super comfortable with. But for whatever reason, you know, it just hasn't been happening. I think part of that could be, you know, time back to Greg Roman, the adjustments or lack thereof. Uh, I think it's just, as it pertains to the offense, just a series of compounding issues this year. I think the offensive line's bad, so they can't really run the ball that well, which puts a lot of pressure on Lamar Jackson, who, you know, isn't the perfect quarterback. Uh, and then teams can key on his stopping him more. He once again led the team in rushing, uh, mostly on scrambles when, I guess, you know, no one was creating separation, so no one was open. <laughs> uh, so... It was frustrating. This was obviously game. Uh, the Ravens' 20, uh, 20 point streak is now over. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, they did not get a turnover, so their turnover streak is over. Um, we've mentioned, obviously, Nick Boyle out for the year with just a gruesome injury uh, that you could tell was a season under the second it happened. Um, that's going to be a problem going forward. So the Ravens have a lot of issues, and I'll, I'll put a positive spin on this. They're still 6-3. and three. We'll probably make the playoffs. Do I think they'll do anything there? Remains to be seen. But there's time to improve. There's time to still make the playoffs. Um, unfortunately, I think uh, the Ravens pretty much don't have a shot at winning the AFC North. It's going to be hard at this point. Uh, Steelers are now 9-0. Ravens are 6-3. and three. Tied with the Browns, which is stunning. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it was upsetting and definitely the most frustrated I've been. Probably not as angry as I've been, more just like, really? That kind of, that was my feeling, my pervading feeling the whole night. But what a frustrating night of football. We haven't seen that from the Ravens in quite a while. I'll put a negative spin on it because you did the positive. <laughs> just quickly, um, especially from the offensive side of the ball. Here's my positive. Shouts out Willie Sneed. He showed up. Guy came to play last night. I thought he played really, really well. He was getting separation, and he is not fast. So We scored two touchdowns, out, and he had both. <laughs> yep, yep, there you go. Um, with the offense this year, especially given the injuries, the disjointedness of it and the like, the, what we've talked about over and over and over again on the show, the sense of it feeling off or, or just, just not working um, to full capacity is not going away for the rest of the year. Um, again, I am way more confident in the defense still, even after this game, um, than I am the offense kind of quote, turning it around. What I do need to see is some sort of an adjustment. I mean, we didn't even talk about it because obviously it was midweek news and a lot of it was overblown. Sure. If you listen to the Baltimore skewed media, it was completely overblown. If you listen to the national media, it wasn't overblown. Um, I think it lands somewhere in the middle as it usually does. Lamar Jackson saying that defenses are calling out the plays is kind of a problem that needs to get fixed. And my final little shout here, because now it's just venting frustrations. The Nick Boyle thing, we've mentioned it in passing one or two times, is huge. He is more important to this Ravens offense than Mark Andrews is. And I don't want to hear arguments 
against that because the way he run blocks. Chris Collinsworth tried to say Mark Andrews was a blocker last night, which I was cackling in my couch. The way he run blocks is basically like another tight or another offensive lineman, and he's starting to show hands and he's starting to show that pass catching ability. You know, you hope the best for him. You hope he gets better, but. You know, you you mentioned it, Antonio, losing Hurst in the offseason and now and now Boyle and now it's just Mark Andrews. There's one tight end on the roster. It's it's a bit of a concern. So don't do not. I don't I'm not saying the Ravens are going six and ten now. Now they're six and three. I'm not saying any of that. But do not expect this Ravens offense to just start humming again because it's not going to happen. I have one more uh, annoyance in this uh, uh, nice little chat of the three of us here, and then we'll. We will turn away from this game because it is one week in the NFL. You're on to, on to Tennessee. Uh, teams lose games. So what, the last thing I want to say that really, really annoys me, and it didn't determine the game, but it certainly didn't help it. Um, we are in an era of technology and an era of digitization. And, yeah, I, I was able to get that word out. And the fact that we still use huh, part-time, 50-year-old out of shape men and chain links to determine whether or not a first down has been gained or not is very frustrating to me. We have to be better than what we are on a third and one with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. The Patriots had the ball. The Ravens are down six. Got to get the ball back. What do you think the Patriots did on third and one? Newton tried to sneak it. There is video footage of this. I think it's Warren Sharp. I, I don't remember now exactly. But yeah, it is Warren Sharp. There is video evidence of a referee running in with his fist held, announcing it's fourth down, with his foot two feet short of the first down marker. He receives the ball to spot it, basically trips over somebody, and misplaces his foot two feet further up and just puts the ball right down on the first down marker. He's already signaled fourth down. Then the head ref sees where the ball is and just calls a first down. They end up measuring it. Surprise, it's a first down by two of those tiny chain links that I spoke about previously. Did it cost the Ravens the game? No. The Patriots, however, were at their own 13-yard line. That would have been fourth and one. There is no chance that the Patriots go for it on their own 13. The Ravens end up getting the ball three minutes later. The, The Patriots have to punt from, I think, 15 yards further downfield, and three minutes later is when the Ravens get the ball back. I'm very annoyed at something small like that that should have been done correctly. The Ravens could have had the ball at midfield off of a punt like that, and with more time to try to score and take a lead in this game. And I just, I hate it, and I hated everything about this game. Real quickly, before we end this game, um, first of all, because I have a follow-up to that, but first of all, I'm annoyed that the rest of... Everybody in the world didn't see this coming. It was a make-or-break game for Belichick and the Patriots' season. If they lose this game, it's a season-ender for them. They had way more to play for, and Belichick was a seven-point dog at home. We should have just seen it coming. We'll talk about it in the betting later. We should say it was the (laughs) The monsoon, and then, of course, I don't know, he went up to – he started talking to Odin or God or whichever one you believe in to say, hey – Open the skies up in this final drive. <laughs> Just make sure that the Ravens can't can't get this with a minute. It's a left. comical amount of rain. <laughs> but and Jace, I don't know if you have one this week, but I'm stealing it anyway. What's bothering Tim? Why is there another hockey in the NFL? 
My God. We had to deal with that self-centered SOB for years. The guy who couldn't get any calls right, who cared more about flexing his biceps than actually calling a game. The guy who only wanted to be on camera because of some issue in his past life. I don't know what. And now his son is just refereeing games and making some horrific calls. And his crew, like you said, at Sharp Football on Twitter, if you want to see the video that Antonio was talking about, it's horrendous. Uh, just making common mistakes. I am infuriated that, I mean, Sean Hockley looks like a young guy, looks like he's going to be around for a while, and that just upsets me to high heaven because he's going to be on the call of so many, or refing, excuse me, so many key Ravens games, and I'm going to be infuriated the entire time. And as I get older and as my mind starts to wilt, I'm going to be making up crazy conspiracy theories about the Hockley's <laughs> and how they were friends of, I can't even, uh, the Ursays or something like that, and that they've hated the Baltimore Ravens for years, or they grew up in Cleveland, or something just utterly ridiculous that's probably untrue. But I just, I cannot stand that there is another hockey league in the NFL referee circle. Ref is such a weird job to be like, I want to father, like follow my father's legacy and like ref football games. <laughs> it doesn't, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. It's, it doesn't seem like, uh, you know, I, I want to do the career where everyone will hate me. It's like, oh, that's not something I'm trying to do. But I guess it pays well, right? It must, right? <laughs> I think it pays well and... Again, it's a part-time job because the NFL has decided this doesn't need to be a full-time job for these guys to maybe get better at it in the offseason. I just, it's very frustrating. Just make it digital. Make the ball have a chip in it that tells you exactly where it is in the... F- okay, all right. Anyway, <laughs> we are going to turn away from this game because enough is enough. Let's turn to the NFL, starting as we typically do with the other teams in the AFC North. Pittsburgh going against a Bengals team that has been a little friskier of late, beat the Titans by double digits, Joe Burrow getting better and better every week, and just a lesson taught, I think, by Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh this week, 36-10 to win, Steelers now 9-0, and uh, any sort of chase for the AFC North title is, is getting weaker and weaker by the week. Huh. Uh, thoughts on that game, gentlemen, thoughts on the Bengals and or the Steelers, what what we take out of this game. Why is Ben Roethlisberger throwing four touchdowns in 2020? I hate it. Uh, I didn't watch too much of this game. It was a, a weird, um, a weird day for the red zone. They were actually, I guess I think it was because of the masters. Uh, there were actually more afternoon, uh, late afternoon games than 1 PM games, which I think almost never happens in the NFL. Uh, so there was actually six games going on, and I was, uh, you know, working uh, during the start of it. But so, and this game, just you kind of said it. They, the Steelers. It was very weird. You look at the play-by-play, and it, it looks like the Steelers, like if they didn't score a touchdown, they went three and out. It was very, it was very strange in that regard. But obviously, they scored a lot of touchdowns or points because they put up thirty-six. Uh, yeah, I mean. We've mentioned the Bengals a bunch in the past, and I still think Joe Burrow is good or going to be good, but they're a bad team. Steelers are a good team, and I think the biggest thing, obviously, from a Ravens perspective is you held out the faintest of hopes that Cincinnati and Burrow could be frisky, and they weren't. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the Steelers are 9-0 and now have a tiebreaker with the Ravens, and 
maybe you you could say, well, if we beat the Steelers on Thanksgiving, but I think realistically the Ravens' uh, chances of winning the AFC North kind of went up in smoke this week, so that's kind of disappointing. Yeah, uh, just, I mean, what do we have to say about Pittsburgh? I mean, you look at Schuster, nine catches, 77 yards. Johnson, six catches, 116 yards, both of them with a touchdown. Oh, and then Chase Claypool. Let's just throw him in, too. Four receptions, 56 yards, and two touchdowns. Talk about weapons all over the field. Look at those soldiers. They're playing a lot, uh, and they're playing very well. They seem to get some separation. No, I'm not salty. Uh, Joe Mixon not being there for Cincinnati, obviously, is an issue. Um, Everything you said, Jace, I'll just add Burrow's good. T. Higgins also good, which is annoying. Um, You know, A.J. Green obviously kind of on his last legs, didn't even have a reception in this game. But T. Higgins kind of stepping up and being that guy for the Bengals. Seven catches, 115 yards, and a touchdown. I just wonder – I wonder if Zach Taylor is really the guy for them because it's like – I get it. They're a bad team, and they they need talent all over the place, and maybe they'll – you know, they kept Marvin Lewis around for, I don't know, about 50 years, so maybe they'll do the same with Taylor. But it seems like they haven't improved at all in the year and a half, almost two years that he's been in charge. So I wonder if – Maybe a coaching change is on the way for them, too. But, yeah, outside of that, not too much to say. Elsewhere in the AFC North, and we we don't really have to talk about this game at all. I can do a sentence. If somebody wants to do a sentence, go ahead. Browns, (laughs) 10-7 victors over the lowly Houston Texans. Don't see that score these days. (laughs) Zero touchdowns until the fourth quarter. It was 3-0 entering the fourth quarter. Ended 10-7. I mean, Listen, the Browns' offense didn't look good, obviously, but maybe the Browns' defense looked good because they did hold Deshaun Watson to seven points. The Browns are 6-3. and three. They have the same record as the Ravens. I'm very confused. Uh, I'm not going to talk about the uh, the Nick Chubb going out of bounds at the one. That, that, that's been talked about on enough podcasts. But I don't know what to make of this Browns team still. They're going to win an annoying, an annoying number of games. That's sort of been my point for several weeks here without them having to be a good football team they just have to be better than Romeo Crennel and they were by three points so we'll move on from that game they're six and three we'll see how that ends up by the end of the season even with their cupcake schedule let's talk instead about one of the more fun games of maybe the entire season to this point Buffalo Bills Arizona Cardinals uh fireworks offense yards helmet Hell Murray's uh, thoughts on the Arizona last second victory over the Buffalo Bills. I'm not the only one who said said this, and it's a very obvious take at this point, but I said this very early on this season. Watch Kyler Murray. Buy red zone. Buy Sunday ticket if you have to. Watch the Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray. He is so, so fun to watch. Remember when Lamar Jackson was the unanimous MVP? Remember how fun that was? As a neutral, this is that. Watching Kyler is like that same type of excitement. Uh, We already talked about DeAndre Hopkins a little bit. I mean, he mossed three defenders on a Hail Mary. A Hail Mary where Kyler Murray is scrambling the other, like the wrong way, the left side when he's a right-handed quarterback. So it makes the throw harder. He has to break a tackle, reset his feet, and then launch this bomb. And then D-Hop just mosses three people. And this, all of this, by the way, is after Josh Allen leads an incredible drive down the field to a to a Maryland player who I know is very good and <laughs> Stefan Diggs for a game winning or what we thought was a game winning touchdown a 
What a game. I mean, the the NFC right now is just is a mess. <laughs> and we'll talk about it a little bit more. I can't figure out who's good, who's not. But the Cardinals, even in that division, which is the best in football, that NFC West, they have a legit case to be one of the better teams in the NFL, which seems wild to say for the Arizona Cardinals. And, and, and credit to the Bills as well. Um, I thought, you know, Josh Allen is very hit or miss a lot of the time. To, uh, on Sunday, he was a hit, you know, 284, two touchdowns. He did have two interceptions. Probably could have had a couple more, but, yeah, this game was awesome. It was the game of the weekend, and um, it's always good when a game lives up to the hype. You know, the, the, everybody was excited for this game coming in, and, and the joke was like, who thought you'd be excited for Bills Cardinals? Well, you should really be because these are actually really two fun teams, and it lived up to it in every single way. It was, it was must-watch television from, you know, from quarter one to quarter four. Yeah, for, for me, the Cardinals, like, their last three games have been the game of the weekend. They had that crazy overtime game against the Seahawks. They had that awesome game against the Dolphins last week. Uh, and then, uh, and yeah, and then this one, I mean, that catch by Hopkins is, like, one of the greatest. Like, the throw was good, obviously. Rowan left and getting it to the spot was great by Murray. But, I mean... He threw it into triple coverage and Hop just went up and came down with it. It wasn't wasn't like the Bills, like, I don't know, like, I, I don't even know what else you could have done. They had literally three guys on him, and he still got the ball. I guess you could put more guys on uh, DeAndre Hopkins, but it was crazy. And, uh, uh, yeah, it was definitely the game of the day. The Cardinals uh, played the Seahawks this week uh, on Thursday Night Football, I believe. So, um, yeah, it's the Thursday game this week, so... Cardinals football, it's exciting, apparently. Uh, not something we've been able to say most of our lives. The only thing uh, that I know will annoy me is I like Kyler. I like watching Kyler. But the Kyler-Lamar comparisons for the rest of their careers, I know, is going to drive me insane. <laughs> so uh, that's the only hesitation I have with Kyler Murray. Is it's gonna That's going to be, you know, your first take conversations is Kyler or Lamar. Uh but aside from that, they've been fun to watch. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that was one of the greatest Hail Marys I think we'll ever see. So, good stuff all around. On a Hail Mary, obviously a lot of things have to go right. I'm not breaking any news with that statement. <laughs> but the one little thing that I noticed, the, it was triple coverage, but it sort of was accidental, like triple coverage turning into double coverage, where I don't even, I think it was Poyer, but I'm not sure... One of their safeties or corners, like, jumps into their own guy on that when trying to knock the ball away. And you need that to happen, right, and, and on a play like that. And he, he sort of bumps the one defender just enough for Hopkins to be able to elevate over all three of those guys and come down with the catch. That was absolutely awesome. Elsewhere in the NFL, in the continuing saga of the plus 40-year-old quarterbacks, last week it was Drew Brees's time in the sun Tom Brady looked terrible in their head-to-head matchup they scored three points this week of course as this NFL season has gone both scripts completely flip uh well, I should say mostly flip Bucks drop 46 points and absolutely crush Carolina Drew Brees they do win but a major injury with Brees that I think Jace you have some information on that he will be out for a while yeah, um, so this was via Adam Schefter, who was, uh, I think, relaying Ed Werder reporting, but uh, Drew Brees, multiple rib fractures on both sides of his chest and a collapsed lung on his right side. 
Uh, Dan Graziano reported optimistically they think Breeze will be out a few weeks. That seems, I don't want to say season ender, but <laughs> when you're, you're 41 and you're cracking, like, I think it was five ribs total. It was like two on one side, three on the other, is I think believe what Schefter reported. Um, and you're, you know, you have uh, some lung issues, collapsed lung. That seems bad. <laughs> so uh, I'm not a doctor, but... And I imagine when you're 41, these things take a little longer to heal uh, <laughs> as well. Um, so it seems bad for Drew Brees. And that's a shame because the Saints are really good. Um, but it, that means uh, it's Jameis Winston time. He came in and uh, didn't do all that much, really. But, you know, kind of put the game away and sealed, sealed a win for New Orleans. So we're going to get a heaping helping of Jameis going forward here, it certainly looks like. I don't know why everybody's so down on this. <laughs> it's Jameis time, baby. The guy can throw the ball down the field. The Saints have a quarterback that can throw the ball more than 15 yards. Uh, you know, uh, joking aside, I, I don't think Jameis is that bad. You know, obviously, he got, we, as we joked in the offseason, he got LASIK oh, surgery. LASIK. So maybe he, can, <laughs> maybe he can see those linebackers now. He legitimately couldn't see them before. Uh, he said he had to squint and was having a tough time. I don't know, reading coverages. So now with the Saints and the talent there, um, who knows? I don't think this is going to be as bad. Jace, uh, was it last week or a couple weeks ago on Pod Like a Raven, echoed my sentiments on his What's Bothering Jace of how Taysom Hill is just one of the most annoying players in the history of football. So I am so happy that they immediately turned to the other quarterback to just quell any sort of the future of the New Orleans Saints is Taysom Hill. Nope, nope. Nope, nope. He'll be done as soon as his contract's up, and he's a gimmick and nothing more. Um, the only guy that, for the Saints, might be a little annoyed with this is Alvin Kamara, because I tell you what, if Drew Brees is the quarterback for the rest of the year, I'd have a sneaky bet on Alvin Kamara winning MVP, because all they do is give the ball to that guy, and he just makes plays. And you talk about a guy that's fun to watch, too. Alvin Kamara, balance, speed, elusiveness, and power, too. He's got everything as a running back, and and it was awesome because Drew Brees couldn't throw the ball past the first down sticks, so he'd just have to dump it off to Kamara in the backfield, and Kamara would still end up gaining 12 yards in some miraculous way. So maybe he's a little annoyed that his workload's probably going to go down because Jameis can actually sling it a bit, but uh, I'm excited. I, you know, I, I, I like Brees' brain, and obviously him and Peyton are so simpatico that they kind of they can almost read each other's minds at this point You know, for how long they've been together, but... I don't think Winston is that big of a downgrade. And I tell you what, we have to see it. We have to see it. And then I'm sure they've got some tough guys on their schedule coming up here. But for me, I still like the Saints in the NFC. I still really like the Saints. And, and all Winston has to do is not throw bad picks. And now he can see. So let's see. Well, Who knows? So, Tim, you mentioned the schedule. It's interesting. The back of their schedule is a little hard. But their next four are Falcons, Broncos, Falcons again, and then the Eagles. So... There you it go. seems like some winnable games for Travis Winston. I'm just, I am not prepared for, the the Jameis eating W's is one of the most uncomfortable <laughs> videos I've ever seen in my life. I don't enjoy it, and I think we will see more of it, because I agree with you, Tim. He's not bad, he was just super mistake prone, uh, and let's see, working with Peyton, if he figures some of that out, if they work the offense around his skills the LASIK, uh, and then just the who they have to play is not a tough schedule. They're currently 7-2, and two, best record in the NFC. Obviously want to hang on to that to try to get the bye. Um, 
and I don't think we'll be talking about Breeze coming back for at least a month. And if they keep winning games, just sort of let him keep resting through the end of the regular season, use the bye, and then try to see how you can do in the in the postseason. So last thing I will say about Drew Breeze, man, if I broke multiple ribs, if I broke a rib, he just got up and walked off the field. I mean, he looked like he was in pain. There is no chance I am getting up off the ground, floor, whatever, if I have a broken rib and a collapsed lung, and I give him a little bit of props for that with just the sort of, like, ginger push against the rib cage when now we realize just how beat up he really was after that play. Last game that I want to talk about quickly, um, feel free to add in whatever you guys would like, but we have to start talking about the Miami Dolphins, uh, and I, I'm going to... I'm just going to sort of softly toot my own horn here a little bit as they were in my preseason over-unders. Their line, I believe, was six, and they are six and three, and they are looking at a playoff spot right now. Tua doing just enough things right, accurate throws left and right. Their defense and special teams are bananas. They blocked another punt in this game, essentially for a touchdown. They got it down to the one-yard line. They blocked a punt last week as well. What do you guys think about Miami? A lot of 6-3 and three teams in the AFC that the Ravens are going to have to deal with. Thoughts on Miami as that team right now? I just want to go real quickly. Um, credit to them for making the move to Tua. Uh, after the week one, there's all these rumors about, well, maybe they're just trying to trot them out there to see if they have their guy. And if not, they can use that Texans pick to pick a quarterback. No, Flores knew he had his guy. And to take this team to the next level... Because um, Fitzpatrick was always going to make them an average team. And I think now they are legit good. Um, the running back situation is really weird. This guy Ahmed came out of nowhere. 21 carries, 85 yards when we're trying to figure out who's going to be starting for them at any moment. Um, and just quickly, I, Brian Flores. I mean, I, don't, I know there's a decent amount of candidates. But for me, Brian Flores is the coach of the year. Um, what he has done with this team that was tanking for Tua... They got incredibly lucky because Tua got hurt. The guys played for Flores. They played better than what they thought. Everybody thought the Dolphins were going to go 0-16 uh, last season. They didn't. They end up with the fifth pick. Um, they take Tua, obviously, because he falls because of the injury and Burrow's emergence and everything, yada, yada, yada. But what Flores has done with this team, man, I mean, look, I'm excited, and I know maybe I'm still a little salty from Sunday evening. I'm excited that this division looks like it's going to come down to the Dolphins and the Bills for years to come, and it's not going to be the New England Patriots. So credit to what Miami's doing. And only final note, probably the best jersey matchup of the year. Oh, my God. Throwback so Dolphins good. with the powder blue chargers. Oh, it, was, it was chef's kiss. It was a treat to have on the television every single time that Red Zone flipped over to the Miami game. Yeah, the, the Dolphins have won. You mentioned all the uh, six-win teams there, Tim. Uh, the Dolphins are have won five straight. They're six and three. Their next uh, three are against the Broncos, Jets, and Bengals, uh, which seems uh, like games they should win, at least on paper. Um, There are nine teams in the AFC that have at least six wins, including your Baltimore Ravens, um, which is a concern. Uh, The assumption that the Ravens are just going to make the playoffs, I don't know that we can just assume that anymore given the way we'll play and who knows maybe you know fighting for a playoff spot and then adverse circumstances will be beneficial to the Ravens long term but 
It's going to be a fascinating end of the season in the AFC. You know, the Raiders are six and three. It's a lot of weird teams you don't expect to be six and three. And the Dolphins and Raiders right at the top of that list for me. Um, and the Browns, Browns are six and three. It's a very strange days. 2020 is a weird year. It's been playing out that way in the NFL as well. Um, so yeah, I think the Dolphins are definitely going to be right in the heart of the the, the AFC playoff mix. And it's, it's going to be a fascinating final month and a half of the season. With that, let's turn now to our random Raven. Jace is up this week, and then after that we will preview Ravens, Titans. But first, Jace, had a little bit of thought this week, or today, should I say, on, uh, on who to pick and uh, who we rolling with. All right, so uh, our first clue is this player came to the Ravens as an undrafted free agent out of UMass after stops with the Jets and the Patriots. He was on the Ravens for the 2012 and 2013 seasons, appearing in 32 games, including playoffs. So, he was a member of the Super Bowl 47 champions. Uh, and 19 of his 32 games were starts. He recorded three interceptions for the Ravens, all of them coming in 2013, a season in which he started all 16 games. He moved on to the Lions in 2014, and his NFL career came to a close after four games with the Bills in 2016. And then our final clue uh, for now is, he was known for his distinct shoveling celebration, which was a play off his nickname. (laughs) Fantastic. Fantastic name. I did not realize we hadn't used this guy yet. Also one of the better celebrations. I would say he shouldn't have done it most of the... Because it was like 10-yard gains, but it was a big hit and he would do the yeah, celebration. Yeah, is... <laughs> uh, But yeah, yeah, three interceptions in two seasons at all. All of them came in a season in which the Ravens went 8-8. Eight eight. So yeah, probably a little too much shoveling, but... <laughs> uh, well, that's a fantastic pick. We will have that answered at the end of of the episode and we are going to turn now the NFL I said it at the top it's a week by week league the Ravens you move on you look at the next opponent it's at home against the Tennessee Titans this line is currently I should say it opened at a shocking seven and a half points it has now gone down to Ravens minus six and a half I think all three of us have our doubts but before before we get to that let's talk about the game itself my note is when the Ravens have have the ball, it's important to snap the ball effectively. If they can do that, then maybe they can run offensive plays. Maybe the Titans' defense is not good. So if they can run their plays, if they can run their offense, limit mistakes, limit disastrous losses of 10, 12, 15 yards, they should be okay offensively. Uh, any other astute observations from you guys about what the Ravens have to do offensively? Yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, the Titans currently lead the NFL in takeaway differential, which uh, generally means they don't turn the ball over a ton and are decent at getting takeover, uh, takeaways. So you're not going to have a ton of opportunities, probably, is what that tells me, that takeaway differential, to get turnovers. So you cannot commit turnovers in this game. That obviously is... More or less what undid them, we have to say, playoff revenge game, quote-unquote. The guy will be, we'll see highlights from that game a million times in this broadcast. Um, And that's kind of what undid them in that game. You know, they moved the ball well, they just couldn't finish. Uh, They stopped on fourth down twice in that game. I believe two interceptions by Lamar. Um, 
So you just have to protect the football against this defense. Because like you said, they don't do anything particularly well, the Titans. They're 27th against the pass, 17th against the run, 17th in points against. So I don't, I can't say with any certainty the Ravens are going to run over uh, them. I don't know what happened in that Steelers game, but it's increasingly seeming like that was an anomaly for some reason. Uh, But... Yeah, just take care of the football. I think that's that's number one against this team because you're going to be able to get some yards some way. Are you? Well, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe In theory, I'm just com- yeah. <laughs> maybe I'm just completely down. Um, and to take you behind the curtain a little bit, Jace mentioned it pre-show that we're talking about. We're kind of talking about the game a little bit and. Antonio's like, hey, well, the Titans' defense isn't that good. And Jason's like, yeah, well, the Patriots' defense wasn't that good either. And look what happened there. Um, call it a bounce-back game. I almost worry, and this is more of a general thing for the team as well, and maybe even more on the defensive side, which we'll get to in a second. Is this a kitchen sink game for the Ravens? Obviously, on Sunday night, it was make-or-break season-defining game for the Patriots. They came out on top. This is a... Let's show everybody we're still good slash try and beat the crap out of this team that ended our one of our best ever seasons uh, in the playoffs last year. So how much does that factor in? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know what I want to see from the offense because I obviously want to see them bounce back, right? But do I just want to see the same thing over again? Am I going to be happy with a, with a, a decently good above average performance that looks like this, the same kind of running attack that everybody knows it's coming and great. You expose a bad defense, but then we're still sitting here asking the same questions or do I want to try and see something a little different? I'm not asking radically different. I'm not saying air raid. I'm not saying anything like that, obviously, but maybe some wrinkles that we haven't seen before. Um, The one thing I don't want to see, because Jace kind of laid all this out perfectly well. The one thing I don't want to see after we mentioned him over and over and over again on this podcast, is Jadavion Clowney to finally show up. Um, He has been bad for the Tennessee Titans so far this season, justifying the Ravens not going after him and his exorbitant price tag or what he was asking for anyway. And again, this all could just be spillover from me being way down on this team and very pessimistic at the moment. I could see this being the three-sack, four tackles for loss game that all of a sudden he just shows up. So, uh, yeah, let's not have that happen. And... Anybody other than DJ Fluker that could play right tackle would be would be sweet as well. When the Titans, oh gosh, when the Titans have the ball, it's the return of the Mac. It's the return of Derrick Henry into Baltimore, who rushed for I don't know like sixteen hundred yards against them in the playoff game. Nobody could tackle him. Nobody wanted to tackle him by the fourth quarter. If with you know Calais Campbell is out. Williams is doubtful. Those two guys were who you would need in in this matchup against Derrick Henry. I don't know what's going to happen here. I mean, over under, I'll I'll frame it that way. Over under a hundred in a win or a loss. Over under a hundred and fifty yards for Derrick Henry in this game, assuming that uh, Williams is also out. We know Campbell is out. Assuming Williams is out, gotta be a buck fifty for Henry, even in a tough game. He rushes for a hundred hundred and twenty yards in games that they're losing. I, I, I'm terrified of him again. I don't know if this defense is, at this point, better against the run than it was last year. So this is going to be a problem. I feel like I have to hit that over. He rushed for 195 against the Ravens last year's playoffs. Um, uh, 
which is more than 150. Um, and I, I know this isn't, you know, I feel like we're not going to have too much analysis on this game, but it's just like, if they stop them, they'll have a chance to win. If they don't, they're going to lose by, you know, 10. <laughs> That's just uh, what's going to happen. Uh, I had forgotten that Tannehill had all of 88 yards in the playoff game uh, in January. So uh, they could not stop Derrick Henry then. Um, their two best pieces to stop Derrick Henry now do not seem like they're probably going to play. <laughs> so I have big concerns. Um, I don't know. You have to hope that some of the adjustments they made um, against you know, the Patriots they can do similar things perhaps and uh to try to limit the run but then i think ryan Tannehill's actually better than cam Newton in, in 2020 and you know aj brown's gotten back in recent weeks and uh cory davis has actually had a, a, a decent uh, showing here and there um so they have some weapons i think even more so than the patriots had that the team they just lost to uh, and ran all over them. So if they can't stop the run, I think it's going to be a, a, a long day for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, Brandon Williams, Harbaugh basically confirmed he'll be out this week against Tennessee. Um, Campbell, I believe, is kind of the same thing. So, yeah, they spent their entire offseason beefing up because Derrick Henry abused them, and now two of the most important pieces of that whole rebuild are not going to be there. If I'm Wink... You're kind of set in the house. Um, we we talked about it a little bit. A guy we haven't mentioned yet. Where where's Ngakwe? Would love for him to show up a little bit. Um, you know, obviously they kind of got him on the cheap, but he is a premier pass rusher in this league. Being able to, if you can, stop these guys on first down and second down. When I say guys, basically Derrick Henry, and get them into these third and longs, and then being able to beat your guy one on one and get after Tannehill, who is mobile. Um, has some escapability, but can certainly be brought down. That's going to be the key here. I still think they're going to have to blitz. I think you're going to have to rely on Peters and Humphrey to stop Davis and Brown um, on the outside. And then you, I mean, who knows? Tremont Williams, who, again, that'll be a random Raven very soon. If if you didn't hear that news, he's on the team now. Um, In the secondary, I don't know. I Especially losing Campbell and Williams and then seeing what happened, I am incredibly pessimistic but i will say as somebody who owns derrick henry in a fantasy league if you look at his game log he alternates between over 100 yards and under 100 yards in every single week every single game this season i'll start from the beginning i'll just do rush yards here 116 84 119 57 212, that was against the Texans. 75, 112. 68, 103. He hasn't been the absolute stud, stud, stud running back that we think over and over and over again. And guess what? He got got his 100 last week, so maybe this is the week he goes under 100. Some of the teams he went under 100 against are the Bears, the Steelers, the Bills, who are an average defense at best. And then Jaguars, who are atrocious, so I don't even know what happened there. But Bear Steelers, good defenses, like the Ravens, who I still think have a good defense. Can they step up with these injury issues? I'm, I can't say I'm too confident. That's, uh, that was a hot fantasy tip brought to you by Pod Like a Raven. Thank you for that, Tim. 
I love it. I'll use that as enough motivation, but that's not going to change my pick this week, and I'm sad to do it. But I listen, I do think the Ravens win this game. I think they squeak out a home win here. I think they just happen to score more points than Tennessee. I, I think this is going to be a, a high-scoring game. But are they covering six and a half? No, they are not. So I'll turn now to my pick, at least, and then let you guys finish up with whatever you would like to. But I'm taking... Oh, God, it hurts. I'm taking Tennessee plus six and a half in this game. I do think the Ravens will win, but plus six and a half for Tennessee. I went 0-2 last week. We're, we're on a little bit of a, a stumbling uh, situation. We're just like the Ravens. I'm on a little bit of a stumble. 0-2 last week with my Ravens loss and my T's loss. 15-8 and now on the season. But this is the week. This is the week we get back on track, and it's an, a tantalizing slate of games. So I'm making three picks this week including the Ravens-Titans game. Titans plus six and a half, as I said, and then I'm teasing three teams. Pittsburgh is facing the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're a 10-point favorite. I'm moving that to minus four, Pittsburgh minus four. Kansas City has a rematch with the Las Vegas Raiders. Jason and I talking pre-show. Kansas City does not lose to them twice in one season. That line is six and a half, so I'm teasing that down to Kansas City minus point five, minus half a point. And then the Packers are traveling to Indianapolis. They are two-and-a-half-point dogs in that game, so that's the other team in this teaser. Packers will be moved to plus eight-and-a-half. I'm very comfortable with all three of these games, so there's no chance that any of them can come back to bite me. And then finally, I'm doing one more. I'm doing three uh, three game, three picks this week, I should say. After watching New England, I did not realize going into this game with New England, that's on me, guys, did not do my homework, how good the Patriots' offensive line was. And it is very good from left to right, and that is what helps them run the ball effectively. They are playing the Houston Texans, who are atrocious against the run. New England is only two-and-a-half-point favorites at this point against Houston. I just think they're going to run all over them. So I'm taking New England minus two-and-a-half. So those are my three picks this week, and I'll be back next week talking about my 3-0 and week. To you, Guys, co-hosts, start with the Ravens game. Any final thoughts and then your uh, your picks as well. So I went 2-1 and one last week, actually. I won New England plus 7. Uh, you know, it doesn't feel like a win. It's How dare you? Depressing. Thank you. Uh, I lost Seattle away to the LA Rams, a game. The Rams defense is awesome. Um, we don't have to talk about that game too much, but that NFC West, we talked about the Cardinals. The NFC West is wild, and... Yeah, they might be Russ might be overcooking at this point. Um, and then I won. I won Miami away to the Chargers as well. That was minus two and a half. But this week, I think the Ravens lose their lose their second straight game in a row. And I think they they fall to six and four. Um, I think they can't. I don't think they get over Williams and Campbell, Matabuke, Washington, Ellis. Nobody showed me enough on that front seven or in that that front line, especially. But they're going to be able to stop Derrick Henry. And even with the fluctuating numbers like I'm talking about, I still think he has a day. That leads to Tannehill having some guys wide open downfield. And then the questions keep saying, well, Lamar can't win the big one, even though it's the defense's fault. Um, so I'm going Tennessee plus six and a half, and I think they win. Um, again, could be pessimism. Who knows? Uh, on the other end... Tim, just to jump on that, as if in the gambling section of this, would you then go so far as to say, like, this is a pick you would make as a... 
Titans money line because for the gamblers no. out there, there's a lot of value there for a Titans money line here. No, I'm not that confident. Um, I, okay. I, I'm not saying it's a definite lock that they're going to win this game. Uh, but with the six and a half points, I, I still think they probably will, but it's going to be close. And so you might as well just take the points if, if I'm leaning that way anyway. Uh, Green Bay is an underdog to the Colts. What? Like, I, I know Green Bay just had a tough game against the Jaguars, but Rodgers will get pissed off about that and then just rip up this Colts team who's not very good. Uh, so, yeah, Green Bay and the points, plus two and a half away to Indianapolis. So, yeah, Aaron Rodgers on turf. Why not? Sounds good to me. Um, and then this other one, I, I, I don't know. The Chiefs one, I actually, I, I will admit, I kind of glanced over that one. I didn't see that, and that, that's a, I love that pick that you made there. But I'm going a weird bet, and I don't recommend anybody doing this. I'm picking the Bengals, plus one and a half, away to the Washington football team. Uh, Love it. You know, as somebody who doesn't like to talk about the Bengals, who's probably going to have to talk about them a little more in the future here as <laughs> Pod Like a Raven progresses down the years because Joe Burrow's there now. Yeah, a, a Washington's front line, sure, they'll get after Burrow. Burrow's taken his hits and still played well this year. And Washington shouldn't be favored in any game. They stink. And I like Alex Smith, I'm sorry. There there is no comeback player of the year potential for him. I know the story's great, and that's that's fine, and I'm frankly a little scared that he's playing football still, but good for him for getting back out on the field. But Alex Smith and the football team are a one and a half point favorites to Cincinnati. I'm taking Bengals. the Bengals. Bengals yeah, six absolutely. and three against the spread this season. There you go. So give me the Bengals. Um, just, uh, two final, uh, points as it pertains to the Ravens. I am also taking the Titans to cover. I think the Ravens can win this game. Um, one, one reason why is uh, we didn't mention is the Titans have like horrific special teams. I don't know. Like Kostowski is hitting 60% of his kicks this year. Uh, they had a punt sh- absolutely shanked in the Thursday night game pr- that immediately preceded that by getting a punt blocked <laughs> when a guy didn't, uh, there, there, and it was of... a block where the ball hit the defender, like in the chest. It was not an arm <laughs> yeah, it was, reach. Uh, he was there. It, it was a thing. I don't know who it was on the line. It was like a tight end or something it was supposed to block one guy, do- ended up double teaming a different guy very much did not block a guy, <laughs> got a free run at the punter, uh, so their their special teams are quite bad, and they've used like two different. I'm not sure if one guy was hurt or what the deal was, but that wasn't even their starting like their normal punter. They've used like multiple punters this year, um, so that's weird, and that could give the Ravens an edge in terms of winning the game when you have Justin Tucker and Sam Cook uh, holding things down back there um, on the special teams. The other thing I just wanted to mention as it pertains to this game is uh. There actually will not be. I, this was announced like right as we were um, going on air uh, to record here, but uh, there actually will not be fans at this uh, game on Sunday uh, due to, uh, I guess, COVID restrictions or rollba- um, tightening up uh, in Maryland. Um, so there won't be any fans. Uh, so I don't know if that favors anyone. Probably not. But uh, back to no fans in Baltimore uh, for this week, outside of maybe you know friends and family. But uh, um, yeah, that being said, I still think the Ravens can win. I don't think, cause I, I am of the mind they're going to lose that Steelers game. So I do not think, uh, they're going to lose three games in a row. So I'm picking them to win this week, but to tighten this cover. Uh, and then my other two picks are ones, um, we've talked about 
Uh, Packers as an underdog plus two point five, uh, and then the Chiefs just as minus six point five. I think, I think they're going to crush the Raiders this week just because I think they're probably going to be mad about their one loss. They've been playing really well for the most part, and uh, they always seem to play especially well, especially Patrick Mahomes when there's seemingly something to prove in these kind of big games. It's the lesser games you can know that you kind of see them. Your games against the Panthers where they almost lose or ease off, or against the Chargers, but. Whenever they play teams where they want to send a message, the Chiefs usually seem to hammer those teams. So I'm going with the Chiefs with the minus 6.5 this week. All three of us picking Green Bay. I have them in a tease. Tim and Jace both straight up plus 2.5. That's like our, I guess, a a quasi-lock for the three of us here on Pod Like a Raven for Green Bay. I'm so scared. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what could go wrong? Um all right, let's close out here. Jace, hit us with the Random Raven one more time. Yeah, and so I think you guys got it. But uh, this player came to the Ravens as an undrafted free agent out of UMass after stops with the New York Jets and New England Patriots. He was on the Ravens for the 2012 Super Bowl winning season and the 2013 season, appearing in 32 games, including playoffs across those two years, making 19 starts. He recorded three interceptions for the Ravens, all of them coming in 2013, a season in which he started all 16 games. And uh, he, number four, he moved on to the Lions in 2014, and his NFL career came to a close after four games with the Bills in 2016. And then finally, he was known for his distinct shoveling celebration, a play off his nickname slash last name. I can, uh, I can get, I think Tim guessed last week on my random Raven. So I'll jump on this one. Cause it's a fun name. It's James Ahedig Bo. <laughs> hence the dig shovel gravel, whatever you want to call it. Celebration on tackles. Definitely in the secondary after a running back gained eight yards <laughs> on first and 10, but James ahead of Bo. Yeah. Uh, started all 16 games in 2013, apparently, uh, in the you know the absence of Ed Reed, uh, probably bad news considering they drafted a safety in the first round that year. Probably should have taken that as a sign. Um, but yeah, James Ahedabo. Uh Mostly only remember him for I don't even remember what game it was, but I remember one of his shovel was. It's just the shoveling's just seared in my brain. It's it's a classic. This is what I want from my random Raven, you know, not really all that good, didn't change the course of Ravens history all that much. I looked, barely registered stats in the Super Bowl run, no interceptions, only a handful of tackles, uh, but was a member of the Super Bowl champs, uh, the Ravens' most recent Super Bowl title, and uh, has a, what I say is iconic celebration, so that's a random Raven in my book. (laughs) I would say I was completely lost. Until you mentioned the celebration, and then it just flooded back to me. Yeah, that was like my main clue. I had to just figure out how to get to the shot. I was like, I'll save the shoveling for last, because there's not much else to say about it. If you haven't seen it, listener, please, I recommend a YouTube uh, check. It's it's like three or four, like, very quick, very short shit. They're not good shovels. He is not doing any sort of work on any ground, but it's very humorous, very quick, and just the short shovels. James Ahedabo. What a guy. What a random raven. Jace, thank you very much for that name. <laughs> a good one that we had not used yet also, and that's getting thinner and thinner by the week. So excellent choice. All right, guys. It was a tough week. It was a grueling Sunday night, but we will be back next week to talk about Ravens, Titans, NFL news, and much, much more. For Tim Horsey, 
and Jay Evans. I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you for listening to us on Pod Like a Raven. We will see you with better news next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.